very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And our saying here is that, and our mission is to help each other help us all. And if anybody would like to get in contact with Can Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com or you can find us over on Twitter at canprojects1. That's C-A-N Projects 1. Welcome back to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And I'm your host, Shane McKay, and we got a lovely, lovely show with another reading from Chris Sneed, The Wind of the Willows. Welcome back. The Wind and the Willows by Kenneth Graham. We'll pick up where we left off. Horrid little carts, common carts, canary-coloured carts. What are we to do with him? asked the mole of the water rat. Nothing at all, replied the water rat firmly, because there's really nothing to be done with him. You see, I know him from of old. He is now possessed. He has now got a new craze, and it always takes him that way in his first stage. He'll continue like that for days now, like an animal walking in a happy dream. Quite useless for all practical purposes. Never mind him. Let's go and see what there is to be done about the cart. A careful inspection showed them that even if they succeeded in writing it by themselves, the cart would travel no longer. The axles were in a hopeless state, and the missing wheel was shattered to pieces. The rat knotted the horse's reins over his back and took him by the head, carrying the birdcage and its hysterical occupant in the other hands. Come on, he said grimly to the mole. It's five or six miles to the nearest town, and we shall just have to walk it. The sooner we make a start, the better. But what about Toad? asked the mole anxiously, and off they set together. We can't leave him here sitting in the middle of the road by himself, in that distracted state. It's not safe. Supposing another thing were to come along. Oh, bother, Toad, said Rat savagely. I'm done with him. They had not proceeded very far on their way, however, when there was a pattering of feet behind them, and Toad caught them up and thrust a paw inside the elbow of each of them. Still breathing short and staring into vacancy. Now look here, Toad, said Rat sharply. As soon as we get to town, you'll have to go straight to the police station and see if they know anything about that motor car and who it belonged to and lodge a complaint against it. And then you'll have to go to the blacksmiths or wheelwrights and arrange for the cart to be fetched, mended and put to rights. It'll take time, but it's not quite a hopeless smash. Meanwhile, the mole and I will go into an inn and find comfortable rooms where we can stay till the cart's ready, until your nerves have recovered from the shock. Police station? Complaint? murmured the toad dreamily. Me complain of that beautiful, that heavenly vision that has vouchified me. Mend the cart? I'm done with carts forever. I never want to see the cart or hear of it again. Oh, ratty, you can't think how obliged I am for your consenting to come on this trip. I wouldn't have gone without you. And then I might never have seen that, that swan. 
that sunbeam, that thunderbolt. I might never have heard that enticing sound or smelt that bewitching smell. I owe it all to you, my best friend. The rat turned from him in despair. You see what it is? He said to the mole, addressing him across Toad's head. He's quite hopeless. I give up. And when we get into town, we'll go to the railway station. And with any luck, we may pick up a train there that will bring us back to the riverbank tonight. And if ever you catch me going a pleasuring with this provoking animal again, he snorted. And during the rest of that weary trudge, addressed his remarks exclusively to Mole. On reaching the town, they went straight to the station and deposited Toad in the second-class waiting room, giving the porter a twopence to keep a strict eye on him. Then they left the horse at the inn stable, gave what directions they could about the cart and its contents. Eventually a slow train, having landed them at the station not very far from Toad Hall, they escorted the spellbound sleepwalking Toad to his door and put him inside it, and instructed his housekeeper to feed him, undress him, and put him to bed. Then they got out their boat from the boathouse, sculled down the river home, and at a very late hour sat down to supper in their own cosy riverside parlour, to the rat's great joy and contentment. The following evening, the mole, who had risen late and was taking things very easy all day, was sitting on the bank fishing, when the rat who had been looking up his friends and gossiping came strolling along to find him. Heard the news? He said. There's nothing else but talk about it all along the riverbank. Toad went up to town by an early train this morning and has ordered a large and very expensive motor car. Chapter 3 The Wild Wood The mole had long wanted to make the acquaintance of Badger. He seemed, by all accounts, to be such an important personage and thought, and though rarely visible, to make his unseen influence felt by everybody about the place. But whatever the mole, whenever the mole mentioned his great wish to see the, mole, the badger to the water rat, he always found himself put off. It's all right, the rat would say. Badger will turn up some day or other. He's always turning up. And then I'll introduce you. The best of fellows, but you must not only take him as you find him, but when you find him. Couldn't you ask him here for dinner or something? said the mole. He wouldn't come, replied the rat simply. Badger hates society and invitations and dinner and all that sort of thing. Well, supposing we go and call on him, suggested the mole. Oh, I'm sure he wouldn't like that at all, said the rat, quite alarmed. He is very shy. He'd be sure to be offended. I've never even ventured to call on him at his own home myself, though I know him so well. Besides, we can't. It's quite out of the question, because he lives in the very middle of the wild woods. Well, supposing he does, said the mole. You told me the wild woods was all right, you know. Oh, I know, I know. So it is, replied the rats evasively. But I think we won't go there just now. Not just yet. It's a long way, and he wouldn't be at home at this time of year anyhow. He'll be coming along some day if you'll wait quietly. The mole had to be content with this, but the badger never came along, and every day brought its amusements, and it was still not till summer was long over and cold and frost and miry ways kept them 
much indoors, and the swollen river raced past outside their windows with a speed that mocked at boating of any sort or kind. That he found his thoughts dwelling again with much persistence on the solitary grey badger, who lived his own life by himself in his hole in the middle of the wild wood. In the winter time, the rat slept a great deal, retiring early and rising late. During his short day, he sometimes scribbled poetry or did other small domestic jobs about the house. And of course, there was always animals dropping in for a chat. And quite con- and consequently, there was a good deal of storytelling and comparing notes on the past summer and all things done. Such rich chapter it had been when one came to look back on it all. With illustrations so numerous and so very highly coloured, the pageant of the riverbank had, had marched steadily along, unfolding itself in seen pictures that succeeded each other in stately procession. Purple loose strife arrived early, shaking luxuriant tangled locks along the edge of the mirror, whence its own face laughed back at it. Willow herb tender and wistful, like a pink sunset cloud, was not slow to follow. Comfrey, the purple hand in hand, with the white, the purple hand in hand with the white, crept forth to take its place in the line. And at last one morning, the dividend and delaying dog rose stepped delicately onto the stage, and one knew, as if string music had announced it, in stately chords, that strayed into a gravotte, that June at last was here. One member of the company was still awaited, the shepherd boy for the nymphs to woo, the knight for whom the ladies waited at the window, the prince that was to kiss the sleeping summer back to life and love. But when middle-sweet, debonair, and odorous, an amber jerkin moved graciously to its place in the group, then the play was ready to begin, and what a play it had been! Drowsy animals, snug in their holes, while wind and rain were battering at their doors, recalled still keen mornings an hour before sunrise, when the white mist, as yet undispersed, clung closely along the surface of the water. Then the shock of the early plunge, the scamper along the bank, and the radiant transformation of earth, air and water, when suddenly the sun was with them again, and the grey was gold, and colour was born, and sprang out of the earth once more. They recalled the languorous siesta of hot midday, deep in green undergrowth, and sun, and the sun striking through in tiny golden shafts and spots. The boating and the bathing in the, of the afternoon, the rambles along dusty lanes, and through yellow cornfields, and the long, cool evening at last. When so many treads were gathered up, so many friendships rounded, and so many adventures planned for tomorrow. There was plenty to talk about on those short winter days, when the animals found themselves round the fire. Still the mole had a good deal of spare time on his hands. And so one afternoon, when the rat in his armchair before the blaze was alternately dozing and trying over rhymes that wouldn't fit, he formed the resolution to go out by himself and explore the wild wood, and perhaps strike up an acquaintance with Mr. Badger. It was a cold, still afternoon, with a hard, steely sky overhead when he slipped out of the warm parlour into the open air, 
The country lay bare and entirely lifeless about him, and he thought he had never seen so far and so intimately into the insides of things as on that winter day when nature was deep in her annual slumber and seemed to have kicked off all her clothes. Copses, dells, quarries, and all the hidden places which had been mysterious mines for exploration in leafy summer now exposed themselves and their secrets pathetically and seemed to ask him to overlook their shabby poverty for a while till they could riot in rich masquerade as before and trick and entice them with the old deceptions. It was pitiful in a way and yet cheering, even exhilarating. He was glad that he liked the country undecorated, hard and stripped of its finery. He had got down to the bare bones of it, and they were fine and strong, simple. He did not want the warm clover and the play of seeding grasses, the screens of quickset, the billowy drapery of beech and elm, seemed best away, and with a great cheerfulness of spite he pushed on towards the wild wood which lay before him low and threatening, like a black reef in some southern, still southern sea. There was nothing to alarm him at first entry. Twigs crackled under his feet, logs tripped him, funguses on stumps resembled caricatures, and startled him for the moment by their likeness to something familiar and far away. But that was all fun and exciting. They led him on, and he penetrated to where the light was less. The trees crouched nearer and nearer. The holes made ugly mouths at him on either side. Everything was very still now. Dusk advanced on him, steadily, rapidly gathering in behind and before. And the light seemed to be draining away like flood waters. Then the faces began. It was over his shoulder and indistinctly that he first thought he saw a face. Little evil wedge-shaped face looking out of him out at him from a hole. When he turned and confronted it, the thing had vanished. He quickened his pace, telling himself cheerfully not to begin imagining things, or there would be simply no end to it. He passed another hole, and another, and another. And then, yes, no, yes. Certainly a little narrow face, with hard eyes, had flashed up for an instant from a hole, and was gone. He hesitated braced himself up for an effort and strode on. Okay, we'll take a little break here for a second and I'll be back to you shortly. And you're very welcome to the Can Projects podcast where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature and wellness. And if you'd like to get in touch with Can Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and please if you can remember to help each other help us all welcome back then suddenly as if it had been so all the time every hole far and near and there were hundreds of them seemed to possess its face coming and going rapidly all fixing on him glances of malice and hatred all hard-eyed and evil and sharp. If he could only get away from the holes in the banks, he thought there would be no more faces. He swung off the path and plunged into the untrodden places of the wood. Then the whistling began. 
very faint and shrill it was, and far behind him, when first he heard it, but somehow how it made him hurry forward. Then still very faint and shrill it sounded far ahead of him, and made him hesitate and want to go back. As he halted in indecision, it broke out on either side, and seemed to be caught up and passed on throughout the whole length of the wood to its furthest limits. They were up and alert and ready, evidently, whoever they were. And he, he was alone and unarmed and far from any help, and the night was closing in. Then the pattering began. He, at, he thought at first it was only falling leaves, so slight and delicate was the sound of it. Then, as it grew, it took a regular rhythm, and he knew it for nothing else but the pat-pat-pat of little feet, still a very long way off. Was it in front or behind? It seemed to be first one, and then another, and then, eventually, from both. It grew and it multiplied till from every quarter, as he listened anxiously, Leaning this way and that, it seemed to be closing in on him. And as he stood, still to hearken, a rabbit came running hard towards him through the trees. He waited, expecting them to slack in his pace or to swear from him into a distant co into a different course. Instead, the animal almost brushed him as he dashed past, his face set and hard, and his eyes staring. Get out of it, you fool! Get out! The mole heard him mutter as he swung round the stump and disappeared down a friendly burrow. The pattering increased till it sounded like a sudden hail on the dry-leaf carpet spread around him. The whole wood seemed running now, running hard, hunting, chasing, closing in round or something, closing in round something or somebody. In panic he began to run too, aimlessly. He knew not whether. He ran up against things, he fell over things, and into things. He darted under things, and dodged round things. At last he took refuge in the deep dark hollow of an old beech tree, which offered a shelter, concealment, perhaps even safety. But who could tell? Anyhow, he was too tired to run any further, and could only snuggle down in the dry leaves which had drifted into the hollow, and hope he was safe for the time. And as he lay there panting and trembling, and listening to the listened to the whistlings and patterings outside, he knew it at last in all its fullness, the dread thing which other little dwellers in field and hedgerow had encountered here, and known as their darkest moment, the thing which the rat, the rat had vainly tried to shield him from, the terror of the wild wood. Meantime, the rat was warm and comfortable and dozed by his fireside. His paper half of half-finished verses slipped from his hand. His head fell back, his mouth opened, and he wandered by the verdant banks of dream rivers. Then a coal slipped, the fire crackled, and sent up a spurt of flames, and he woke with a start. Remembering what he had been engaged upon, he reached down to the floor for his verses, poured over them for a minute, then looked round for the mole to ask him if he knew a good rhyme for something or other. But the mole was not there. He listened for a time. The house seemed very quiet. 
Then he called Molly several times and receiving no answer, got up and went out into the hall. The mole's cap was missing from its accustomed peg. His galoshes, which always lay by the umbrella stand, were also gone. The rat left the house and carefully examined the muddy surface of the ground outside, hoping to find the mole's tracks. There they were, sure enough. The galoshes were new, just bought for the winter, and the pimples on their soles were fresh and sharp. He could see the imprints of them in the mud, running along straight and purposeful, leading directly to the wild wood. The rat looked very grave, and stood in deep thought for a minute or two. Then he re-entered the house, strapped a belt round his waist, and shoved a brace of pistols into it, took a, took a stout cudgel that stood in the corner of the hall, and set off for the wild wood at a smart pace. It was already getting towards dusk when he reached the first fringe of trees and plunged without hesitation into the wood, looking anxiously on either side for any sign of his friend. Here and there, wicked little faces popped out of the holes, but vanished immediately at the sight of the valorous animal, his pistols and the great ugly cudgel in his grasp, and the whistling and the pattering, which he had heard quite plainly on his first entry, died away and ceased, and all was very still. He made his way manfully through the length of the wood, to its furthest edge. Then, forsaking all paths, he set himself to traverse it, laboriously working over the whole ground, and all the time calling out cheerfully, Molly, Molly, where are you? It's me, the old rat. He had presently hunted through the wood for an hour or more, when at last, to his joy, he heard little answering cry. Guiding himself by the sound, he made his way through the gathering darkness to the foot of an old beech tree with a hole in it, and from out of the hole came a feeble voice, saying, Ratty, is that really you? The rat crept into the hollow, and there he found the mole exhausted and still trembling. Oh, rat, he cried, I've been so frightened, you can't think. Oh, I quite understand said the rat soothingly. You shouldn't really have gone and done it, Mole. I did my best to keep you from it. We river bankers, we hardly ever come here by ourselves. If we have to come, we come in couples. At least, then we're generally all right. Besides, there was a hundred things one has to know, which one has to understand all about, and you don't, as yet, I mean, passwords and signs and sayings which have power and effect. The plants you carry in your pockets, the verses you repeat, and dodges and tricks you practice, all simple enough when you know them, but they've got to be known if you're small, or you'll find yourself in trouble. Of course, if you're a badger or otter, it would be quite another matter. Surely the brave toad wouldn't mind coming here by himself, wouldn't he? inquired the mole. Old toad, said the rat, laughing heartily. He wouldn't show his face here alone, not for the whole hatful of golden guineas toad wouldn't. The mole was greatly cheered by the sound of the rat's careless laughter, as well as by the sight of his stick and his gleaming pistols, and he stopped shivering and began to feel bolder and more himself. Now then, said the rat presently, we must really pull ourselves together and make a start for home. Well, there's still at least a little light left. It'll never do to spend the night here, you understand. It's too cold for one thing. Dear ratty, said the poor mole, I'm dreadfully sorry but I'm simply dead beat. And that's a solid fact, 
You must let me... You must let me rest here a while longer and get my strength back if I'm to get home at all. Oh, all right, said the good-natured rat. Rest away, it's pretty nearly pitch dark now anyhow, and there ought to be a bit of moon later. So the mole got well into the dry leaves and stretched himself out and presently dropped off to sleep. Though it was of a broken sort and much troubled, while the rat covered himself up too, as best he might for warmth, and lay patiently waiting with a pistol in his, in his paw. When at last the mole woke up, much refreshed, and in his usual spirits, the rat said, Now then, I'll just take a look outside and see if everything's quiet, and we really must be off. He went to the entrance of their retreat and put his head out. Then the mole heard him saying quietly to himself, Hello? Here's a go. What's up, Ratty? asked the mole. Snow is up, replied the rat briefly. Or rather, it's snowing. It's down. It's snowing hard out here. The mole came and crouched beside him, and looking out saw that the wood that had been so dreadful to him in quite a changed aspect, holes, hollows, pools, pitfalls, and other black menaces to the wayfarer were vanishing fast, and a, a gleaming carpet of fairy was springing up everywhere that looked too delicate to be trodden upon by rough feet a fine powder filled the air and caressed the cheek with a tingle in its touch and the black boles of the trees showed up in a light that seemed to come from below well well it can't be helped said the rat after pondering we must make a start and take our chances i suppose the worst of it is, I don't exactly know where we are, and now the snow makes everything look so different. It did indeed. The mole would not have known that it was the same wood. However, they set out bravely and took the line that seemed most promising, holding on to each other and pretending with invincible cheerfulness that they recognized an old friend in every fresh tree that grimly and silently greeted them, or saw openings, gaps, or paths with a familiar turn in them in the monotony of white space and black tree trunks that refused to vary. An hour or two later, they had lost all count of time. They pulled up, dispirited, weary, and hopelessly at sea, and sat down on a fallen tree trunk to recover their breath and consider what was to be done. They were aching with fatigue and bruised with tumbles. They had fallen into several holes and got wet through. The snow was getting so deep that they could hardly drag their little legs through it, and the trees were thicker and more like each other than ever. There seemed to be no end to this wood, and no beginning, and no difference in it, and worst of all, no way out. We can't sit here very long, said the rats. We shall have to make another push for <clears throat> We shall have to make another push for it, and do something or other. The cold is too awful for anything, and the snow will soon be too deep for us to wade through. He peered about him and considered. Look here, he went on. This is what occurs to me. There's a sort of a dell down there in front of us, where the ground seems all hilly and humpy and hummocky. We'll make our way down into that and try and find some sort of shelter, a cave or a hole with a dry floor to it, out of the snow and the wind. And there we'll have a good rest before we try again. For we're both of us pretty dead beat. 
Besides, the snow may leave off or something may turn up. So once more, they got to their feet and struggled down into the dell, where they hunted about for a cave or some corner that was dry and the protection from the keen wind and the whirling snow. They were investigating one of the hummocky bits the rat had spoken of, when suddenly the mole tripped up and fell forward on his face with a squeal. Oh, my leg! he cried. Oh, my poor shin! And he sat up on the snow and nursed his leg in both of his front paws. Poor old mole, said the rat kindly. You don't seem to be having much luck today, do you? Let's have a look at that leg. Yes. He went on, going up, down on his knees to look. You've cut your shin. Sure enough. Wait till I get my handkerchief and I'll tie it up for you. I, I, I must have tripped on a hidden branch or a stump, said the mole miserably. Oh my, oh my. It's a very clean cut, said the rat, examining it again attentively. That was never, that was never done by a branch or a stump. Looks as if it was made by a sharp edge of something, metal. Funny. He pondered a while and examined the humps and the slopes that surrounded them. Well, never mind what's done it, said the mole, forgetting his grammar in his pain. It hurts just the same, whatever done it. But the rat, after carefully tying up his leg with his handkerchief, had left him and was busy scraping in the snow. He scratched and shoveled and explored on all four legs, working briskly, while the mole waited impatiently, remarking at in intervals, Oh, come on, rats! Suddenly the rat cried, Hooray! And then, Hooray! 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 And he fell to examining a feeble jig. And he fell to ex executing a feeble jig in the snow. What have you found, Ratty? asked the mole, still nursing his leg. Come and see, said the delighted rat as he jigged on. The mole hobbled up to the spots and had a good look. Well, he said at last slowly, I see it right enough. Seen the same sort of thing before lots of times. Familiar object, I call it um, a door scraper. Well, what of it? Why dance and jig round a door scraper? But you don't see what it means, you dull-witted animal, cried the rat impatiently. Of course I see what it means, replied the roll. It simply means that some very careless and forgetful person has left his door scraper lying around in the middle of the wild wood, just where it was sure to trip somebody up. Very thoughtless of him, I call it. When I get home, I shall go and complain about it to, to somebody or other, see if I don't. Oh dear, oh dear, cried the rat in despair. That is obtuseness. Here, stop arguing and come and scrape. And he set to work again and made snow fly in all directions around him. After some further toil, his efforts were rewarded and a very shabby doormat lay exposed to view. There, what did I tell you? exclaimed the rat in great triumph. Absolutely nothing whatsoever, replied the mole, with perfect truthfulness. Well now, he went on, you seem to have found another piece of domestic litter, done for and thrown away, and I suppose you're perfectly happy. Better go ahead and dance your jig round, that if you've got to, and get it over, and then perhaps we can go on and not waste any more time over rubbish heaps. Can we eat a doormat? Can we sleep under a doormat? Or sit on a doormat and sledge home over the snow on it? 
you exasperating rodents. Do you mean to say, cried the excited rat, that this doormat doesn't tell you anything? Really, rat, said the mole quite pettishly. I think we've had enough of this folly. Whoever heard of a doormat telling anyone anything? That simply do they simply don't do it. They're not that sort of king at all. Dormots know their place. Now look here, you thick-headed beast, replied the rat, really rather angry. This must stop. Not a word, but scrape. Scrape and scratch and dig and hunt round, especially on the sides of the hummocks, if you want to sleep dry and warm tonight, for it's our last chance. The rat attacked the snowbank again besides them with ardour, probing with his cudgel everywhere and then digging with fury. And the mole scraped busily too, much more to oblige the rat than for any other reason, for his opinion was that his friend was getting a little light-headed. Some ten minutes hard work, and the point of the rat's cudgel stick struck something that sounded hollow. He worked till he could get a paw through and feel, then called the mole to come and help him. Hard at it went two animals, till at last the result of their labour stood full in view of the astonished and hereto incredulous mole. In the side of what had seemed to be a snowbank stood a solid-looking little door, painted a dark green, an iron bell pole hung by, its, uh, by the side, and below it, on a small brass plate, neatly engraved, in square capital letters they could read, by the aid of the moonlight, Mr. Badger. We'll stop there again. That's great, Chris. Thanks so much for reading this. So, everybody, right. listen, keep well. And as we like to say around here, help each other, help us all. Yeah.